Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mr. Padoni, what do migration, economics, immigration and wait for it technology all have in common uh, i'm gonna go with it's a truth or fiction tuesday you are correct it is a truth or fiction tuesday i'm andrew coppins he's padoni and this is critical thinking That's right, folks. It is a truth or fiction Tuesday on the program. If you're new, it's very, very simple. We're each going to give not one, but two separate statements and then discuss whether that statement is truth or fiction. And you can participate in Truth or Fiction Tuesday uh, by interacting with us on Twitter. I'm at The Coppin Show. He's at The Pat Oni Show. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, all that wonderful goodness. Um, and do not forget... <clears throat> subscribe, download, rate, review. Subscribe, download, rate, review. Subscribe, download, rate, review the podcast. Okay? Yes. Make sure you are subscribed. If you are listening to the podcast for the first time, make sure you have the downloads on. Make sure that you just go ahead and give us a rating or a review wherever possible. It all helps us. Believe it or not, just simply downloading the podcast every single day helps us grow this audience and grow our ability to be seen on the various podcasting platforms. So as something as simple as turning on your download capability helps us. Don't even have to do anything else. Of course, you can see my beautiful mug in his soulless ginger nature over at rumble.com backslash critical thinking. By the way, sub, sub truth or fiction, Mr. Panoni. Uh-huh. Can you be both alive and soulless? Yes. How? Have you ever seen the uh, documentary uh, Harry Potter, the Prisoner of Azkaban? Pat, that is uh, uh, 
a work of absolute and total fiction. Nevertheless, um, just like the, uh, the fact that you, you can be both soulless and alive. Okay, let's 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 try it this way. Have you ever seen the documentary The Princess Bride? Also, an eighties movie, Pat. Uh, not not a documentary that that was a totally made up work of fiction. Okay, let me put it to you this way then. You've met me, right? Yeah, and some would suggest that on some days during this program, you are not alive. Well, that's because it's early in the morning. It has nothing to do with being soulless. <laughs> you jerk. So I'm we here. Have a I'm lot living to get into. Yes, we have a lot of actual work to get into on today's program. Whether you are soulless alive or just a soulless ginger uh, is not quite the point. Uh, but today on Truth or Fiction Tuesday, like I mentioned, we're going to talk some migration, some immigration, some technology, and some economics. So, Pat, uh, do you want to go with your first Truth or Fiction? Oh, sure. And your first Truth or Fiction is? Truth or Fiction, the amount of technology available now is becoming a hindrance to childhood education. Hmm. Um, I will go with fact, uh, truth on this one. Fact, fact or fiction? No, truth or fiction. I'm going to go with truth on this one. Okay. And I think it's, I think of it from this perspective. <clears throat> and it's even so much as even back in my day, if you will, where teachers force you to rely not on your calculators, but on your brain. And I firmly believe that technology has a good place and needs to be helpful in a classroom. I believe technology has a place in educating our children. I believe that technology can be used for good. But the problem that I have is that we have raised a, an entire generation that Believes technology is the answer to everything. Most importantly, we've also raised an entire generation whose heads have been stuck in a laptop, on a iPad or whatever tablet. Um, you know, they've they've had a phone in their hands since they were three months old, right? And we have begun to see the ramifications of the lack of socialization. We are starting to see massive amounts of depression that are abnormal for what is a normally depressed age group, right? The teenage age group. And we are seeing a problem that exists because there is a belief that technology is always the answer in that technology can be your escape from reality all the time. Like you don't ever have to deal with reality. <clears throat> you don't ever have to deal with uh, that bully, right? Because I'm just going to escape into my iPad or, or on Snapchat or whatever. And also, technology has been used to bully. Technology has been used in nefarious ways <clears throat> in and amongst the teenage crowd. And that's not to say that that, you know, bullying is a new epidemic. No, it's been around since 
ad infinitum, right? I mean, this has always been a thing. It's always been a part of human nature. But I will say this. I think that technology has replaced the ability to critically think. And that inability to critically think has allowed us to be more depressed, to rely on others instead of ourselves. The the old school self-reliance, the ability to understand that you can do things. Well, here's a great example of this, right? Why do we see a lack of plumbers or lack of HVAC, uh, a lack of tradesmen, if you will, or tradeswomen, if you will? Why are we seeing this problem? It has to do with we have a, a group of people who don't understand how to work with anything other than a piece of technology. They don't understand that to work with your hands, to to solve a problem without technology being the only answer, right? Well, Andrew, aren't tools technology? To, to an extent, sure. But it takes critical thinking skills to think through a construction problem or to think through um, how to repair or replace something. Instead, it's we're going to use technology. Let me go to Tasker. Let me go to TaskRabbit. Let me do this. Let me do that. And somebody else will solve my problem for me. And that's because we have grown up a society, grown an entire generation that has become accustomed to the answer being at the tip of their fingers instead of at the tip of the brain. And we see the, the ramifications all over this generation. We see it from the perspective of even when they went all technology, when it came to pandemic education, the massive ramifications of that flip of the switch, right? We're seeing people at lower reading comprehension levels, dramatically lower math and science and reading levels. I, I just, technology has a place, but it cannot be the, the only thing that is relied upon. And I see teachers and, you know, not saying that uh, Mrs. Pat is this way, but I see teachers who do this. And I see it because they've been fed up, they've become fed up, they've become jaded, and frankly, they're sick and tired of being babysitters. And so, if you're going to make me a babysitter, I'm just going to do what babysitters do, and I'm just going to throw a movie on, or I'm just going to do this, and I'm, I'm giving up on being an actual educator. Technology, again, has its place. It is sometimes very necessary. It is sometimes very helpful, but it cannot be the only thing that we are focused on when it comes to education. What say you? So I'm actually going truth with this as well. Um, not only just for the reason that you just laid out, I, I, I actually put some thought into this. Um, the cool thing about my wife, uh, on just a quick side note here, is that she teaches... Um, Family consumer sciences. Some might know that as home ec. So what she teaches is very, very hands-on. So, so wait, wait, wait. She actually has something cool to her besides being married to you? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, continue, yeah. continue. Yeah. And by the way, she was doing this before she met me. So, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, so there's <laughs> that. But I, I thought about this, and I thought about my own education growing up. and. My dad, as much as I hated math, made me, like, in the summertime, 
would give me like workbooks on meth so I, I would learn how to keep up and, and, and understand how math works and things like that. And that way I didn't fall behind in classes and things. Cause like I, I really struggled with math in of itself. I didn't do bad, but the reason why I didn't do bad is because I had somebody there pushing me to do better. The other thing that, that, that came along with this is like, you mentioned the whole calculator thing. I remember, I remember that very well. I mean, especially when you got into like high school, you get the graphing calculators that did all like the algebraic problems for you and everything. And they could, they could calculate the graphs and stuff for you. And mm-hmm. all you had to do is basically write it all out. You didn't learn really how to do it by hand. My dad made me learn how to do crap by hand. Um, and to this day, I still use some of that education. Now I don't use a lot of the math anymore. Right. But you know, Whenever I do a show, just to give you guys an idea, you know, I, I handwrite everything out. Um, I don't I don't use a Google Doc. There's just some things that I'm like, technology is not good for this. And the reason why, the reason why I handwrite things out, I remember them more than when I type them. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, I've talked about this too, Pat, right? Mm-hmm. Where that that's all about learning how you learn. Right. Right. And and we both learn very similarly for me, you know, and, and I've talked about this, right. Being in college and literally, I think everybody but one person that was in the apartment that we had together as friends, we all had the same class and everybody else, you know, before a test or before the final or before the, the midterm, right. They would be studying for days and days and days, hours upon hours upon hours. Right. And what would I do? Flip through my notes read them, read through them once, maybe twice, right? For that section and, and then move on. But it's because I remembered or not that I remembered, but I learned how I learn. And I, it, just like you, I retain information. I learn best by writing it out, taking the notes and my brain imprints them. That's just how it works for me. Like I, it's not just it's not really photographic per se memory wise but it right. is it is how i can recall the information i could read a textbook over and over and over again to your point i could type something out over and over and over again but it doesn't have the same effect on how i soak in information it's why when i have meetings with customers um and and meetings with clients or meetings with vendors You'll see me with a notebook, just like you do. I have to write that information out first and I'll retain it. If it sits somewhere on a Google Doc or whatever, I don't retain the information. We learn very similarly. And I think we have a generation that doesn't focus in or a generation of teachers that is uninterested in helping their students figure out how they learn and then helping the classroom in various ways of learning, right? It, and I've spoken to this. Good teachers find find out how their students learn and then incorporate the various aspects of, like, you could end up with a classroom of people like you and me, Pat, right? Mm. You could end up with a classroom full of that. Okay, so then what is it going to have to be? A lecture style, right? Right. But what if 50% of the class is that way, 25% of the class learns visually, and another 25% of the class learns hands-on? You have to vary how you teach and how you 
help people retain information. So you have to vary up how you do your lessons. And, you know, maybe three days out of the week, you're doing lecture. One day you're doing hands-on and the other day you're doing something else and you're marrying all of it together so that everybody has an opportunity to retain the same information. They're just teaching it differently. But we don't have that. We have people who rely on technology as always the answer. And that's not true. Here's a great example of how technology can help in that classroom setting, right? Help the teacher figure out how students learn. There's AI, there's there's different you know technology out there that can help identify the learning styles of those children early on in the process. And that information gets retained as they move forward in their education. And thus, you can help identify, and hear me out on this, Pat, as we get into high school, if you're a AP history teacher, right? And you've got three sections of AP history. Could you or could you not populate all three sections based on learning styles? Would that make your life as a teacher a hell of a lot easier? Hell yes, it would. That's a good use of technology, but it's not the crutch, right? That is an enhancement of the ability to you as a teacher to teach and the student to retain and be successful in your classroom. All that's true. And and I, I, I want to read this, just a short excerpt from this article from Fee. Uh, Carrie McDonald uh, is, is where a lot of this is coming from. She said, today we need more young people to grow up with the audacity to create the impossible things that will brighten our lives, enhance human flourishing, and improve our planet. We need more young people to nurture the qualities and characteristics that separate human intelligence from artificial intelligence. These human qualities, including curiosity, critical thinking, ingenuity, and the entrepreneurial spirit are the same qualities that are so often eroded in our dominant system of traditional schooling. To successfully coexist, compete, cooperate with even smarter machines, humans need the chance to cultivate the cherished qualities that make us distinctly human. The type of wrought uh, by the book Standardized Behaviors that conventional schools in, in um, in, inculcate are inculcate, yeah, are, yeah, are exactly what AI and other technologies are increasingly automating. To thrive in the economy of tomorrow, children need to learn how to both harness and rise above the robotic. Yeah, a thousand percent agree with that. And I think a great example of this is the critical thinking skill portion of it. And I also think you have to look at Elon Musk as the finest example of exactly this point, because Elon Musk loves technology, right? He literally is he created he helped create PayPal, you know, um, Tesla, SpaceX, you know, Twitter. He's been involved in tons and tons of entrepreneurial, um, you know, companies and blah, 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 blah. But when he sits down for an interview, it's not about the technology. He thinks about the implications of technology, right? The greatest example is what are we doing with AI, right? He is thinking about the implications of the use of technology. And I fear we have an entire generation that just believes technology is always the answer, and it's not. It's a crutch because it, it provides convenience and comfort. Absolutely. All right. So let's go ahead and move forward to my first truth or fiction, Pat. It is 
The American experiment is working as people are speaking with their feet. Truth or fiction? Um, I, I'm going to go with truth. And the reason I'm going to go with truth, let's just take, take education as just one example. Okay. I, I think there are several, but this is, this is just one example of, of many. We are seeing across this country right now parents speaking up in school boards, um, you know, parents that otherwise wouldn't have run for elected office run for elected office within their school boards because what's, what's happening is just flat out wrong. We also see this, this concept of school choice. Of, yeah, you know, funding uh, students, not systems, funding students, right? Not, okay. not systems, right? That's, that's a growing thing within this country. Um, is it happening everywhere? No, but it's happening in a lot of places that, you know, 10 years ago wouldn't have thought about doing anything like this. So, yeah, in, in some in some in that respect, yes, it, it, that's happening. Um, I think if you look at some local grassroots campaign level type stuff, I think that's happening as well. People are speaking with their feet. Is it the same in every local area across the country? Of course not. But it is happening across this country. It, it is um, to a point, um, flourishing. Now, is it enough? No, I would argue that it, it's not enough. There needs to be more of it. Uh, there needs to be more community standing up and doing all those sorts of things. But it, okay. but it is it is it is a testament that that it does work. So I. I see what you're or where you're going, but this is just one aspect of it. I right. think the, the greatest example of this and, you know, for all the doom and gloom and the culture war and all this other stuff. Right. Economics, it matters the most. Right. And mm. economically speaking, the, the point of the American experiment and why I call it the American experiment is what we have 50 different experiments we have right. 50 different laboratories. The point of the 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 creation of states versus, um, you know, just a nation with like governmental districts behind it. The, the point of this was that there are things in which we have a commonality on a federal level, but we have a federal system on purpose because we also wanted states to have the rights to do what? To to have religious beliefs as they believed, right? A great example, the Quakers in Pennsylvania versus the Protestants and the Calvins and blah, 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 right? I don't want to go too far down into the weeds of that. But one of the greatest things that was given to us was the ability for each state to have its own say-so on how it wanted to be run, how it wanted to tax, how it wanted to have its own you know, fiscal policies, its own social policies, da, 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 da. And the, the greatest example of how we know the American experiment is working is actually what's happening here in, in my state of Illinois, as well as states like New York and California, right? Where we have seen a tipping point where people can't take it anymore, right? We've seen it to the point where um, in 2020, Illinois lost 105,000 people. Now, that's IRS, quote unquote, migration data, right? But 
even if you don't want to take that IRS data, you can take the census data, right? Where they where they have told us that the state of Illinois lost the third most in terms of all population numbers, but the most in per capita numbers of anybody from pre-pandemic to today. We lost a congressional seat gained by places like Tennessee and South Carolina and Texas and other places, right? Um, so what I mean by people are speaking with their feet, they see other places as magnets of success, magnets of I can do more with my money, I get more value for living here, right? And the differing tax policies, economic policies, um, housing situations, all that sort of stuff has made a massive amount of difference in so much as people are literally fleeing the state of Illinois for places like Florida, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas. And it's not just migration to Indiana and Wisconsin anymore. It is California. It's not California either. The number one state that people moved to from Illinois was Tennessee, followed by Florida, South Carolina, and Texas. Why is that happening? And we're losing a net amount of people. We're, the state of Illinois is not gaining people. We're losing at a pace of over 100,000 per year at this point, Pat. California is losing over 200, uh, has lost over 500,000 over the course of the pandemic. A half a million people of a net loss. And they're moving, yes, to Idaho. But that's not exactly a neighboring state, right? No. So you have Idaho, Texas, Florida. People are literally picking up and moving across the country. Why? Because they're seeing the successes, the the lifestyle changes, all of the things that have gone into making Florida a success, Texas a success. Now, I will grant this. There are people who are leaving those states and doing so on purpose, trying to flood and make them blue again. And there are people who are taking the – don't love the policy, right? Hate the consequences of the policies of states like Illinois and California and New York, right? But then are taking those very same principles, if you will, and attempting to apply them to where they move to. That's insane. I don't understand that at all. You're leaving for a reason, and 99% of that reason is economic. So I think while we're – all seeing and hearing this doom and gloom about America, right? And it's uh, decay and decline and da, 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 da. I actually think the hopeful story, the positive story is that there are states who have experimented, right? There. So for instance, hear me out on this. If a state like Tennessee was an absolute failure when it came to having no state income tax and you know all of the the various things that are different all the quirks about it if that wasn't something people were um gravitating towards or more importantly haven't seen as a success it wouldn't see the people moving to it that it does instead it's become a hip state to move to why because 
it has these economic advantages. People moving from California to Nashville are is happening all the time. Now, I, I talk to people in real estate down there, and frankly, they're just frazzled by the everyday insanity that is going on down there. But it's happening because it's become an economic magnet. It is working, right? And it and people are sick and tired of seeing it work there, seeing the advantages people have there, or in South Carolina, or Florida, or elsewhere, or Idaho even, right? Idaho's got a really great tax advantage compared to California, or even Utah, Pat, right? Mm. They're seeing all of these places have success and, and hand the individual more and more of their own hard-earned money instead of less and less and less of it. And they're literally picking up and leaving and going to these places. It's not as if they're picking up from California, moving to New York or moving to Virginia or moving to Maryland or Pennsylvania, right? There's a reason they're moving to the Texases, the Tennessees, the Idahos, the South Carolinas, the Floridas, the North Carolinas of the world. It is because they see them working and so as much doom and gloom as much all the crap that we talk about all the time, I want people to understand there's some hope because, yeah, sure, you might see, well, but Andrew, that's not good for Illinois. Actually, in the long run, it will be. Why? Because one of two things is going to happen here, Pat. Either we're going to see people go to their corners and leave me alone, right? Or... Or states like Illinois, California, New York, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Delaware, whatever, you know, Massachusetts, however, whatever liberal economic policy state you want to pick out. Or they're going to find out that losing population at a significant rate and those people who are leaving According to IRS data, 75% of the 105,000 that left in 2020, Pat, 75% of them earned over $100,000 a year. Is that, is that a problem? Yeah. Yeah. Bit, yeah. Because, it, yeah. because you exist in a progressive tax state, right? You exist in a state in which you depend upon those high earners to subsidize the rest. And those high earners are like, nah, no, I'm gone. Because they have the ability to go. So you're going to be forced to reckon with that one way or the other. Either you stay where you are and you continue to drain the population of your state and people continue to flock elsewhere. Or you change course and become closer to the policies of those states, thus keeping your own talent in your state and attracting others to want to continue to be here. Right, Because Chicago is a magnet city. It's a fantastic city when it comes to the things that it can offer. It has its druthers. It has its issues, right? Weather, whatever. Also crime. But it's also not one of the worst cities, you know, major cities in the U.S. when it comes to crime anymore either. But perception is reality. And people are literally also taking that perception and their lived experience and getting the hell out of these types of places. 
I think that's an absolute hopeful story for the American experiment on multitudes of levels. I also think you're seeing people beginning to do what, Pat? Say, you know what? My economic, social, cultural values matter, and I'm not living in a place that wants to insult any of them anymore. I think you're really seeing that. And it's even reflected in the conversations that my wife and I are having. You know, our families are both from Wisconsin, right? The easiest thing to do for us to get out of here would be to move back to Wisconsin. But is moving back to Wisconsin solving for any of the problems other than being closer to family? Probably not. Probably not. So, you know, as those discussions happen in our household, it's a weight of family and other aspects versus what's the lifestyle we want to actually live going forward. And, and in lots of cases, that there's a lot of advantages to being elsewhere. So, I think th these types of data points and news from an economic standpoint tell us the story of hope. Hope that people in America are waking up and understanding and punishing those states that are punishing them. You know, I, I woke up this morning to... Uh, to a story in the in one of the business journals here in Chicago. There's another business, um, another very, very, very big financial powerhouse business here in the city of Chicago who, just like the Citadel Group, um, with, um, I think it's uh, Jennings, um, who moved his entire staff, his entire apparatus, his entire operation, has sold all of his properties in Chicago and in the Chicagoland area, moved everybody down to Miami. A second financial powerhouse has just announced they are shuttering all of their Chicago businesses and everybody will be moving to Miami. When your economic cornerstones are leaving, when they are saying we're taking our business and all of our high-earning employees, that business, by the way, their average employee is about four to five hundred thousand uh, dollars a year, and all of them, even if it's a small percent, a small number of them, and they pick up and leave. Who's left holding the bag? And as I said on Twitter, as we see these numbers, and and JB Pritzker, the governor, Fred Flintstone, I mean, um, bury his head in the sand and say, well, well, um, it's not migration data. IRS data isn't migration data. No, you're right. It's not physical migration data. But what is it? It's economic migration data. Because what are people doing? They're setting up their businesses that used to be in Illinois and setting them up elsewhere. Whether they actually are doing business here or not is irrelevant. They're not paying business taxes here in the state. They're setting the economic migration up elsewhere. That's a problem. And as I said on Twitter, you're going to have two, two options pretty soon here in the state of Illinois. It is either have that discussion and, and know that you're going to stick out the really hard times to hopefully come out the other end um, in a position in which you are the person who can take advantage of whatever upswing might happen eventually. Can you, can you rough out the hard times or get the hell out while you can? Because you do not want to be stuck 
in a position in which you can't get out. Those are those are the two options that are available to you. Have the discussion of can we get out and where we should go or are we capable mentally, physically, emotionally of sticking out what is likely to be rock freaking bottom pretty soon here because we're talking about pension issues and this is the same in New York, California, Maryland, elsewhere, right? Plug and play your progressive economic policy states in here, okay? I, I, you're, you're, we're going to be in, you know, with the pension issues, with, um, you know, taxing of of million dollar real estate transactions. Because guess what? Um, that million dollar three flat, Pat, that's likely owned by a family attempting to earn an income off of that property. So what do you do? And it's not a small tax, by the way. They're talking about 3.375% as a transfer tax. That's prohibitive from anybody wanting to own this property. More importantly, how do you get rid of it if you own it and you want to get out? The only way to do so is to time it before it actually goes in place. And good luck trying to find a buyer unless that buyer wants to take advantage of of timing the market. And oh, what happens if we're in a bad, bad recession on top of it? Which I mean, I can argue we're already in a recession. Just how long it's going to last or if it gets worse is the question. So I think the hopeful part of of that doom and gloom is that people are getting it and speaking with their feet. They're leaving. They're going elsewhere. And they're not going to similar states, right? They're not leaving here and going to uh, going to California or leaving here and going to New York. They're going to Tennessee, Texas, Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, Utah, Idaho. All places that have economic magnets attached to them. All places that are doing economics differently. And yeah, sure, they might bring some of the progressive values or whatever that they have held in these cities, right? Or in these states. But at least they're economically getting how to think for themselves and how to take advantage of the individual benefits of leaving those states. That for me is hopeful for the American experiment. What say you? Well, when you initially posed the truth or fiction, I I didn't interpret it this way at all. But uh, looking at it from from that perspective of of they're speaking with their feet in terms of they're they're leaving, they're moving, they're they're going yeah. elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. Um, and I think it's the most untold story in the media. I really it, do. It, well, it is. It is. It, and because why? No one wants that narrative right now. Right, because it would be a narrative that suggests that there is a winner and a loser when it comes to economic policy, right? Right. It would suggest that the losers are the people who are sticking to the 1950s economic policies, right? Beholden to unions, beholden to this, beholden to that. And oh, by the way, pension, pension, pensions, where states who have been economically agile, if you will, right? They're, they are attracting people like, you know, flies on a, on honey, 
if you will. I mean, you know, I, Nashville, the, the stats are crazy. It's something like 10,000 people are moving to Nashville every single day. What? How do you keep up with that, right? You don't. You don't, but it, yeah. You know, so, I mean, think about that. Every single day, there's at least, a, I shouldn't say it's 10,000. Excuse me. It's 1,000 people every single day end up moving to Nashville right now. Mm. Now, some people are moving out of Nashville and going elsewhere. That is true. But in that area, you've seen this place go from kind of the home of country music and it's a city, but it's not that big, to an absolute metropolis. Uh, yeah, very interesting to me. I, I think people need to understand that. I think we have to tell that story and we have to tell it as a sign of hope and a sign of something good in this country. Because I'm okay with people going to their corners as long as it's driven by what? Reason, logic, economics, and principles. Let's have that fight and see who wins. We're already winning, by the way. That's what they don't understand. And that's why they don't want to tell the story, is that it's a story of who is winning. And winning is team economic sanity. Team, you keep your own money as much as humanly possible. So, with all that being said, Pat, do you, do you have anything else to say on that subject? No, no, I think all that makes perfect sense. All right, well, with that having been said, um, do you want to play the B or not the B? Hit me. Where and how hard, Pat? Where shall I hit you and how hard? Um... How about how about how about right here? As hard as you want, but I'm just going to warn you right now: you're going to break your fist. I, I'm I'm thinking of a Limp Biscuit song right now. Just going to say. Mm. Anyway, Not today's fair. headline: Media uses a picture of toy guns to show the cache of weapons owned by the Air National Guardsmen, who reportedly leaked classified documents. Media uses a picture of toy guns to show the cache of weapons owned by the Air National Guardsmen who reportedly leaked classified documents. And while you're thinking about that headline, folks, you know, um, we always talk about this. Do business with businesses that won't insult you. And most importantly, do businesses that don't care about your politics because it will be better for this country. That's coffeebrandcoffee.com. Go to coffeebrandcoffee.com where they care about good coffee, small batch roasting, and not whatever political affiliation you have, whether that's left, right, center, libertarian, anything in between. They don't care. They care about the quality of their product, you consuming it, and that's it. So go to coffeebrandcoffee.com, enter the promo code CRITICALTHINKING at checkout for 5% off of your purchase today. Coffeebrandcoffee.com. Enter the promo code critical thinking for 5% off of your purchase. Again, coffeebrandcoffee.com, promo code critical thinking. And by the way, you're supporting a great business in the state of Utah when you do so. Anyway, Pat, do you need uh, do you need a headline one more time? One more time. Media uses a picture of toy guns to show the cache of weapons owned by the Air National Guardsmen who reportedly leaked classified docs. Is this the B or not the B? See, in terms of a headline, it's goofy enough to be the Babylon Bee, 
but it's also too long to be the Babylon B. So I'm going to go with not the B. You are correct. I did alter it, by the way, a little bit because it would have given it away. But CBS used a picture of toy guns to show the cache of weapons owned by the Air National Guardsmen who reportedly leaked classified docs. Catherine Herridge, formerly of Fox News, by the way, right? <clears throat> According to DOJ newly filed memo, the Air National Guardsman accused of leaking classified materials had a cache of weapons and tactical gear surrounding his bed, reports uh, reports Catherine Herridge. Prosecutors allege the 21-year-old is a flight risk. Um, here's a problem, though. The cache of weapons. Yeah. Pat, yeah. You know your airsoft rifles, your um, BB guns, right? Yeah, yeah. They have these little, like, orange plastic tips to them, right? Yeah. Why? Because it denotes them as being a toy. Right. There are scary-looking AR-15-style airsoft guns. Yeah. One of which has a banana clip, Pat. <gasps> and I know that's not the technical term, but whatever. It's how rest of society would identify it as. Um, and then the other paraphernalia. This is how you're pushing a narrative. I mean, uh, but Pat, the other paraphernalia. It's a box of freaking BBs you, in you like been, those little airsoft uh, pellets. You, With you wait for it, Pat. Off. Wait for this. Oh boy! A a a human um target taped to the wall with BB holes and pellet holes everywhere. You would have been better off quite literally going to Google and finding some random picture of an armory and using that instead. That's how bad this is. If you're trying to push a narrative, you are, you would have been better off doing that than trying to show off toy guns. Now, this is also a great part of how community notes have worked on Twitter, by the way, Pat, because right below this, uh, readers have added context they thought people might want to know. The <clears throat> quote-unquote guns shown in this video have orange tips to mark them as toys. <laughs> See, you at least in, in so much as you are consuming this bullshit story, get that this is actual bullshit. Like... Look, the individual, whatever you believe about leaking information, this individual deserves innocence until proven guilty. And more importantly, so what if he had 50 toy guns? Who cares? Yeah. Also, he's an Air National Guardsman, so he likely is proficient in the use of weapons no matter what. If he did or didn't possess these Airsoft rifles. Catherine Herridge for crying out loud. What are you doing? Uh, 
On that notepad, I think it is time for us to get to the uh, second of our truth or fiction statements, and I'm going to go first on this truth or fiction. Okay. My second truth or fiction, the illegal immigration problem can only be solved by solving our broken legal immigration system. Truth or fiction? I mean, that, that seems like an obvious truth to me. We've talked about this before. Like, what, what can we do with our current system to make it, if you will, more liberty-centered, more um, incentivizing for us to make it more liberal? Like, like, like in terms of like, how does it benefit our country to to do that? And we we've talked about different scenarios when it comes to legal immigration before. And I think I think that is the way to solve the problem is how do how do we solve a broken system? We have to fix the broken system. We or or tear the old system down and come up with something new. Um, so that that's where I would ultimately come down on this is that, that there has to be truth to it. Yeah, because and, and- it, it is. It is not working the way it, the way it's set up now. Yeah, I don't think anybody believes that it's working the way that it's set up right now. I don't think anybody, whether you believe in open borders or close them right. all up and lock them all down and whatever, right? Um, you know, I will say this. I used to be on the side of build the wall. Like that, I always I, – I shouldn't say I always thought that, that or whatever, but like harsh illegal immigration penalties and like lock them all up. You know, throw away the key type of a of a situation. But I've changed my viewpoint on the immigration system as I found how broken the legal immigration system has actually become, thus creating kind of the the problem that exists. The the people, the vast majority of illegal immigrants, if you talk to them, would have loved to have come here legally. Would have loved to have done it, you know, the right prim and proper way. But it is unrealistic. For that to have happened for the vast majority of them, they can't afford to sit in, you know, cartel land for 10, 15 years. They need to get the hell out, right? They right. need to get their families out for the safety reasons, for, you know, economic opportunity reasons, whatever it might be. I happen to believe that this is absolutely truth. And I think there's a story out there that is, um, that has been going on for the last couple of weeks here. And it's one that happened in Texas, Pat, right? where we hear the story of an illegal immigrant that slaughtered an entire family in Texas, right? Mm. Killed five people, killed his neighbors. And wouldn't you know he's an illegal immigrant? Not just any illegal immigrant, by the way, but a five-time border crosser. And I thought to myself on this, it's interesting to watch the rights outrage about an illegal immigrant committing this crime as if it would be any better if this was a legal immigrant, a naturally born citizen or somebody who had their green card or a or somebody who gained their actual citizenship, right? What would be the difference of this story? Nothing would be different about this story. The actual story inside this story is that 
Our immigration system is so broken, is so failing, that we can't even deal with somebody who crosses the border not illegally, not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but five times. There's no consequence to it. None. More importantly, even if you wanted to stop these people, even if you put all the punishment that you possibly could, people are still coming across the border illegally. So how do you solve a problem in which there is no, I repeat, no disincentive for them to do it? The, the, and I'm not suggesting that this individual who committed this horrific crime should have been somebody that we let into the country. But hear me out on this, Pat. If we make the legalization of immigration easier for those who want that path to citizenship, they want to come here to economically advantage themselves, to, to do all of these things. Can we make that system work better? Hell yes, we can. We can streamline that system tomorrow if we thought through it. But more importantly, the resources that we put into all of the immigration problems and all of the immigration uh, that we have into this country, if we made that process streamlined easier, better, right? Would we or would we not have more resources to make sure and ensure people like this individual would never be able to come back into this country? Hell yes, we would. Hell yes, we would. More importantly, this individual wouldn't have had to have crossed the border likely five times. Can we stop anybody from committing a crime in this country? Likely not. That's the harsh reality of the situation that we're in. You have no idea if your neighbor down the street gets behind the wheel of a car and, you know, is four times the legal limit and plows over uh, and plows into your house. How do you stop that? You don't. You can't. Mm -hmm. So what we have to focus in on from an immigration standpoint is controlling the things that we can control. And then for the things that we can't control, we have ways of which to deal with them. But we are so focused in on the wrong problems with the semi-right solution to them. But we've talked about this almost ad nauseum, Pat. We would need at least 10 times the amount of immigration judges that we have to adjudicate the amount of people that are coming over the border illegally. If if we took the amount of people that were coming over the border illegally and put them into an immigration system that would incentivize them to come here, by the way, and do it the right way, right? Would we or would we not not have as big of a legal immigration problem? I would argue we wouldn't. Does that mean that we just let everybody, every Tom, Dick, Harry cartel member into the United States of America? No. We have to be smart enough to be able to screen through that process, right? But we can do that much more efficiently with better technology, with people who can delve into the backgrounds of these individuals and do so efficiently, quickly, and smartly. And have that realization that as Americans, we are never going to be perfect. We can't be perfect, but we have to make sure that our systems in place incentivize legal instead of illegal immigration. Instead, what do we have? Our asylum system is an absolute joke. It's a total mess. 
and people are attempting to claim it that should just be going through the regular immigration process. And by the way, would we or would we not have better idea of who these people are, realistically who they are? Would we or would we not help us solve the human trafficking problem that exists? By the way, 125 people in one house in Texas. What? What? Oh, we lose how many thousands of people? We have no idea where they went after unaccompanied minors? We would be solving for that problem. We would be solving for human trafficking. We'd be solving for likely making it easier for us to catch drug offenders, right? Also part and parcel to this, we have to have a more holistic conversation about some of the other things that drive illegal immigration, right? Drive border crossing issues. And by the way, would or would the Customs and Border Patrol agents have a much easier time and more importantly, resources and the time to deal with the issue of smuggling, right, across the borders. Hell yeah, we would. If we would just focus on solving for the right problem. We, we know what the problem is. It is that people want to come here, but the system is so broken that the incentive is to just get here. By hook, by crook, however, screw the rule of law, screw the rules, screw the system, just get here. How about this? We make the incentive the other way around, just like Mexico does, by the way. If you illegally immigrate to Mexico, if you illegally immigrate to Brazil or Argentina, you want to know what the penalty for that is? Holy bleep, man. You don't want to do that. You really don't want to do that. But we don't have any of that disincentive. And more importantly, we don't have the incentive to do it the right way. So let's rethink our immigration system from the ground up. Let's solve for the correct problems. I, I just, I don't get it. The outrage on the right over, oh, this is a fight. How the hell is this person? This person should never have been here. You are right. This person likely should never have been here based off of that system. But you are not understanding or comprehending the actual problem because we have a rule that says you can't be here, right? And we found the person, deported them, not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but now he's here five times. So four times we deported his ass. That's the solution that we are offering, right? Supposed to offer if you immigrate here illegally. None of it worked. He still got here the fifth time. And then something really bad happened. Let's leave the, the really bad part of it out. In hey, people, uh, do you comprehend what the actual problem is? We have no way of actually stopping that person from coming in a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, a seventh time. We're not doing anything about that. So if we're not going to do anything about that, we need to solve for the right answers so that people who are doing bad things, who want to come here for nefarious reasons, who want to be here to cross that southern border illegally, are easier to deal with, are easier to catch at that moment, at that point in time. We can talk about the people who figured out how to game the, uh, the work visa programs. We can talk about the people who come here and gain and game the system when it comes to the um, education visas, right? That's the most common way that people become illegal immigrants. 
They game the system, come here for a semester of school, and are never seen again at that school, at that institution. How? Why? Because they figured out that I'm 21 and I have a skill set that is attractive to a school, so I'm going to apply to that school, get my visa, and I didn't ever intend to go there. I just wanted to go to America. We have a broken legal immigration system that creates the problem of illegal immigration. It has got to stop, and we have to have a serious conversation about the solutions to that instead of the outrage machine. Rightfully so, by the way, about the five people who were murdered. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that that's not outrageous. But what I am saying is it has nothing to do with that person's immigration status. Those are two completely separate issues. And for the right to attempt to glom on to the illegal immigration as the issue here is insane. That's not the issue. The issue is that somebody murdered five people. Well, you shouldn't have been here. Okay, well, how many people are let out on bail in this country? Oh, you don't want to solve the actual bail problem either. Instead, we what with that in this country? Oh, but um, you know, people commit horrific crimes every day. You can't stop that from happening. You have no idea when, how, where, why that's going to happen. You, unless we have an actual clue, an actual tip-off of an actual action about to happen. Good luck. The immigration status is not that issue. The story of his immigration status is a separate issue from the death. And they both need to be dealt with, by the way. We are just refuse to have those right conversations as far as I'm concerned. All right, Pat. Uh, Want to move forward to yours? Yes. Okay. Your second truth or fiction. Truth or fiction, economics should be a moral issue. I'm going to go with truth because it's as much of a logical issue, as much of a um, reason issue, as much of a data and um, dollars and cents issue as economics obviously is. There is a moral component to this. I think we also have to look at this from the story that we're just talking about with immigration, right? There are moral aspects to the economic questions that exist inside immigration, right? Great example of this. The incentive for farm work, right? For people that do the farm work that are migrants from across the border, no American – no – I shouldn't say no American. We have so devalued the, that kind of work in the and how – both economically and morally devalued it. We look down upon that kind of work, right? As a society, like that's beneath the average American citizen to, to go pick, you know, a uh, cabbage in a field or, or, you know, work, work with their hands in the field or whatever might, you know, might have you. But to a migrant community that sees a dollar a day as a thing that, you know, is reality for them. Earning, you know, $3, $4 an hour on a farm, that's like gold to them, right? Now, I'm not saying that that is right or just or anything else, but to them, it's a moral and an economic uh, stance. It is immoral for me to not take that position 
because I can economically benefit my family by doing so. But economics is also a moral issue in so much as the policy matters, in so much as capitalism versus Marxism, right? Capitalism versus communism, socialism. These are economic and moral questions. It, it, is it moral for me as an individual to collectivize an economy? Is it, you know, all of these things have to be answered. And we can look at the moral implications. Look at Venezuela. Is it moral for them to have the socialist economy that they have? Has that turned out to benefit the society? No. Look at Cuba. Look at Russia, right? Even so, so much as we've played on this same geopolitical sphere, economically speaking, we ain't in the same realm. We ain't even close to the same realm. I also look at it from this perspective, Pat. Economically speaking, carrying the debt that we carry as a country, is that moral? Hell no, it's not. But we also know, if you read the Bible, that there is morality when it comes to money, when it comes to economics more broadly. There are things that God and Jesus teaches us about the morality of economics. Tithing, right? That's a, that's a moral thing. Right? That's a moral question according to the Bible. Um, doing unto others as you would do unto yourselves is both a, a social but also an economic call, right? It, it, there are so many things and so many parables that Jesus teaches us about the poor, the destitute, becoming the people that occupy the kingdom of heaven, right? Why does he make that message? It's a moral calling. Why does he say those who have in this life won't have in the next, right? There's a ton of moral issues. And more importantly, I think, than the question of what system is moral and what system isn't, is taking that calling of God and Jesus' teachings and applying it within our economic system. That is ultimately the moral question here. And I think we are failing on so many levels, but also doing some really good things because there are so many people who do give individually to the poor, to the destitute, to those who have less than they do. But economics is definitely morality. What say you? This is also truth um, for me as well. And I I'm looking at this from the perspective of doing business ESG scores on how those kinds of things mm. are immoral. Um, I look at the, the woke corporate culture that we have today and how a lot of them are trying to use those economic policies against you. We talk about on this show about doing business with those that won't insult you. And as conservatives, we shouldn't be doing business with those that would insult us. I mean, look at the whole Bud Light scenario. Yeah, and and, you could talk about uh, the masterpiece uh, kick. Uh, kick, yeah. You, 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 story. Jim, you, you, is it uh, James Phillips or Jim? Jack Phillips. Jack, yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. Jack Phillips, uh, right? You can look at yep. uh, all sorts of those types of things. Yeah, you're right. 
you know, those are, those are all all examples of of morality and, and economics together. Um, you know, and so yes, it's, it's and it's it hasn't been a moral issue just all of a sudden. It's been a moral issue for years. Uh, it's been a moral issue for all time, as far as I'm really all time. Yeah, I was gonna say it's yeah. So it it, it is most definitely a moral issue, no matter how you break it down. Yeah. Um, you know, you can break it down as simple as this. Is it moral to take from others to benefit yourself? Is it moral to, to take things that people have rightfully earned? We talk about taxation being theft, right? We, t- you know, right. But even beyond that, right? The, just the basic concept of Marxism, the collectivization of of the the money and the prod products and all of that, right? So if I have ingenuity, if I have my own, you know, want or will or skill or whatever, and I choose to want to benefit everybody in and give away the farm, that should be my choice, right? Co-ops, great example of that, right? It's literally a cooperative. I'm deciding that that's what I want to do, but I shouldn't be held at the the point of a barrel of a gun, right? To do so, I, I should be able to make that individual choice. Now, if I want to hoard all of my wealth, I would suggest you are gluttonous, and that is a sin. That is a moral sin. But do you have the right to to do that? Sure, legally speaking, you do at least in this society, and oh, by the way, in communism, in socialism, it exists. It's why we have an oligarchy here in the United States of America and in Russia, by the way, because they have a group of people who hoard the vast majority of the wealth and are not doing anything to benefit society. It is continuing to benefit and gain more power, more money, more everything into their own pockets. And it's not about, well, then you need to redistribute the wealth. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is look at Elon Musk, right? The richest man in the world. (coughs) What is he doing with his wealth? Creating products, um, exploring, um, you know, inventing, doing things that can benefit society, thinking through life, more generally speaking, uh, creating, 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 and that is a benefit to others. He is using his wealth to benefit himself and others. You know, uh, look at Amazon, right? You, as much as you might not like Jeff Bezos, he has been doing that, right? He has been using his wealth to think through things, to create, to benefit, to do all of that stuff. You know, the it's just on a basic level. Um, it's it's this fight of how are you using the things that you have and the tools that you have and the and the gifts that you've been given by God. And we come at this from a a perspective of a uh, biblically based morality. That's the reality of what we come at it from. And the Bible tells us that economics are indeed tied to morality. And they have been since the beginning of time, by the way. All right. With that, Pat, your final thoughts on today's show. Don't get lost. Remember who you are. No means no. And there's a difference between being dead and being soulless. Please be smart, be safe, be kind, make sure you eat all of your meals today, and as always, Matthew 547.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.